the musical film Chitty Chitty Bang Bang gave us a charming performance by Dick Van Dyke, a nightmarish scene involving a child catcher, and an Academy Award-nominated song that shares the film's title. The film's lesser-known tune, From the Ashes of Disaster Grow the Roses of Success, could characterize the work of Swedish landscape architect Charles Theodore Sorensen. From the ashes of his disaster, however, grew the concept of adventure playgrounds. In the 1930s, Sorensen built elaborate playgrounds, but no children played. He imagined instead a junk playground in which children could create and shape, dream, and imagine a reality. His idea of a junk playground, one equipped with hammers, nails, saws, and even fire, is now called an adventure playground, and there are more than 1,000 of them across Europe. In the United States, there are only a handful of these sites that facilitate child-directed play, making the research of adventure playgrounds nearly impossible for two teachers from a suburban village adjacent to Chicago. That is until they received a Fund for Teachers grant. Welcome to Fund for Teachers, the podcast. I'm Carrie Caton, and the goal of each episode is to elevate teachers as the inspiring architects of their careers, classrooms, and school communities. Today, we're learning about adventure playgrounds from Renee Epstein and Eileen Lewis, teachers at Roosevelt Middle School in River Forest, Illinois. Last summer, these teachers designed a Fund for Teachers Fellowship to observe characteristics and benefits of adventure play and playgrounds in Europe to enhance their successful eighth grade interdisciplinary project on parks and play. Our discussion about their observations began with me figuring out why they chose this topic in the first place. I think I'm going to begin with the fact that you already had a really vibrant program. Can you kind of talk about the program that you both started together? Compassion Counts, the importance of outdoor play for all children. We are on an eighth grade team. One of the requirements at our school is that each grade does some type of interdisciplinary unit at some point during the year where all the kids are involved and they're supposed to, you know, it's more project-based. And we've just, as a district, kind of moved more towards like UDL and kind of student choice. Renee had a, a park being built in her community that was going to, you know, like over a million dollars. It was this all accessible park for, you know, kids of all all needs. And so we kind of decided together that, you know, this would be really important to kind of study the importance of play for kids, but then also do some research on like different parks in our area, the history of play, parks and playgrounds, and how we went from very unsafe playgrounds to then almost in the 80s it becoming too safe and everything was plastic and not very creative and so, um, and then not accessible for everyone to play. And so we, would, we took them to three accessible parks, but then we also took them to three parks that weren't fully accessible and then had them kind of simulate what it would be like to be handicapped, going around on a wheelchair, not being able to use all of your limbs, um, sensory overload, that kind of stuff. So, so we also had someone that come in that described all the different pieces of a playground equipment who's, who works for playground equipment. And then ultimately the project was the kids designed their own park. And then they, but they had to, had to be accessible. accessible and they had to use research of why they chose certain equipment and stuff like that. And then also back up mission statement with the importance of play for all and stuff. So we did that for four years. Yeah, we did that original. I, it was like four years, three or four years. And we did that just like that. And then the year 
before we applied for the FFT grant, we honestly had this, just this idea of like, okay, well now how can we add another layer of choice into it? So we kind of got really good at this particular IDU that was this for, you know, special needs accessible students and looking at accessible playgrounds. But then we are like, okay, well now we're ready to take it to the next level. How can we give students a choice? Again, thinking about UDL and that was something our district was really pushing. So then we were like, okay, well, let's keep our IDU the same and still allow some students to pick this accessible playgrounds portion. But then how can we say, what's another type of playground or something that we could look into? And that's when we came across a documentary on um, NPR and it was all, it was all about the like adventure playgrounds and that's just our wheels just started turning from there. So it was a really cool organic experience of we really had something in place that we were legitimately had done and fine tuned and, and the kids loved the it. Kids loved it. it. Yes. And we got a lot of like community support and parents loved it and everything. And so it was like, how can we just take that and like take it to the next the next level. When we were looking at the adventure parks, there's there's like one in California and I think one in New York, but like nowhere near like what they were in Europe. So that's when we were like, God, it would be so cool to actually, because part of see, being doing this accessible park, you know, was being able to go and like use the equipment and yeah. see what was happening at the parks and how really anyone could use it. And so we're like, gosh, how do we bring this in? But we don't have any experience with this. And then we are like, it was truly a foreign concept to both of us. Like what, like we had never experienced anything yeah. like what we saw. I mean, we researched it before we went to Europe and then everything we did in Europe was brand new. Like it really was like an immersive brand new experience for us, which was really cool. And actually we knew we were getting, we knew we had gotten the grant. So we knew we were going to Europe. And like we were able to tell our students when we were doing the project, two years ago, we were able to share with our students all about, all about um, the fact that we were getting ready to go to Europe and we were able to talk to them about like, what are things we should be looking for there? And so like we involved them before mm -hmm. we even went to Europe in like what we should be looking at and study. It was just really cool. And they were well, like, and their input was very, um, was research based. The input that they gave you because they had been doing the research themselves. Yeah. And so they could give you really strong advice on what to look for and things yeah. to ask. And yeah, it, exactly. So it was just a really, we feel like so blessed and we didn't even know about FFT. The only reason we had this whole idea and then a colleague of ours had received a grant a couple of years ago. And she's like, this idea is really good. Like you should seriously put an application in to see if they'll send you to go. We were like, what? We didn't yeah, even know. Well, we were yeah. like, what? Like, like just to go see parks. Yeah. So she's like, no, no, you can put it all together. So, so it was like really serendipitous how it all worked out. Well, talk a little bit about what you did because you met with the, with the industry leaders in, in this um, in this field and, and you, you yep. did go to several countries and see how they are implementing not just their parks, but their education system to be inclusive. So Tell yeah. us a little bit about, about what you experienced. So really how it started, how we sort of mapped out where we were going to go was based on the experts that we were meeting in the field. That's how, so um, we reached out to a couple of different people who, I mean, literally we blindly yeah. emailed people um, through a couple of different organizations. There are a lot of organizations in Europe dedicated specifically to adventure playgrounds and the importance of and the importance of play. So there's plenty of them to pick from. And we blindly started by emailing and saying, this is our idea. We know nothing about it. We would love to come talk to you, be with you in person, have you show you around, like whatever. And all of them got back to us. Mm -hmm. Like all of them out, they were so excited. And basically 
the two people in Germany were like, absolutely, like, we'll spend a whole day with you, we'll two days with you, three days with you, whatever you want. The woman, the curator of the entire um, museum project in Switzerland, then connect. So she met with us, then she connected us with like the heads of these parks. I mean, it was unbelievable. Yeah. So basically, we mapped out our itinerary based on where these their people were located, were. what their schedules were, and then the places where the, the specific adventure parks they told us that either we could get access to. So typically adults are not allowed into those parks. So typically it's just for students mm -hmm. or if you work there. But like it was a big deal that we were as adults even allowed access. Like parents are not allowed into the parks. Mm -hmm. So it's not like the average Joe Schmo could just go yeah. check this out. It's not like our playgrounds here where you can just go see them. Like you have to have like special access, but they met with us. We wouldn't, I mean, we went all day long and they gave, they introduced us to everybody, all the people, all the people that work there and design. We met the like designers. The, the designers. We met um, the, the museum curator, even just her historical knowledge of playgrounds in Europe and in the United States was yep. unbelievable. She invited us back the next year, unfortunately was during the pandemic and Otherwise, yeah. maybe we would have she considered was doing going, another exhibit. Yeah, yeah. She invited us to come back to an exhibit she was doing in like Frankfurt. Frankfurt. Frankfurt yeah. Um, so it was it was really cool. But I think the best part of it was the connection we made with the the different individuals. They allowed us to then really show us around and get access to the park. So I mean, we were able to almost play in the park, if you will, um, which I thought that was the, and take videos and take pictures. And we have pictures, videos of like of a kid sledgehammering a car for fun as like part of their like experience. Yeah, playing with fire, building these forts. And I mean, if you walked into these places, you would you would be like, oh my gosh, somebody needs to clean this up. I mean, it looks like just like junkyards and some of them were a little more organized, but the, just the idea of these kids being able to play at these natural materials and kind of Montessori-ish in the sense of yeah. just kind of exploring like what, what what it leads to. Let's see what this does. Uh, but there were also, it was interesting, you know, they did do a lot of training with the kids too. Mm -hmm. So any kid could show up, but they did have to, before they could, you know, start building these huts, they had to like basically kind of almost get certified with the prove that they know how to use the saws and the hammer. So it wasn't just like willy nilly go on in there and anyone because one of our questions was are we kept saying like this would never fly in the united states because of lawsuits and liability yes. um and I, martin said what a really interesting thing to me he said you know i i've sat he was somewhere where he was looking outside the window at a regular park and he said the difference of these parks is that these kids play with intention mm -hmm. that they learn that there's a lot of risk involved but they know to be careful right they're jumping off cliffs they're they're doing this stuff, but they, but they, that they know there's risk involved, so they know to be careful. He said, a lot of the parks in the United States, statistically speaking, we actually have more accidents in our parks than they do over there because the kids aren't playing with intention. They're literally like running into stuff because they're not paying attention to where they're going or they're, they're using the equipment not the way that it's designed, and so then they end up, they do get hurt because that was it was you know it's only designed for one way and then they didn't use it that way so it kind of that was a really interesting i thought when well i think if you if you were in a group of adults and you pulled how many people how many of us broke our arm falling off of the monkey bars um yep. i mean <laughs> that would be but these kids are playing with literally playing with fire and yeah. um 
And literally. Yeah, I mean, literally. Yeah. And what I thought it was cool, the three different countries we went to had very different cultures, even around these same adventure yep. parks. They each handled it there a little bit differently. And that was really intriguing too, because I mean, you're talking about, we were train rides away from these different countries we were in. So we're not talking, they aren't that far apart, but different cultures. So that was really cool to understand and, and experience that too. Mm -hmm. You said you wrote something either in your proposal or your post fellowship reporting about how teachers and parents tend to be helicopter teachers and parents. And as you said, you're, as type A teachers, that, that's something that we can, that we fall back on as a fellow type A parent is not really control, but trying to shape and shepherd and guide. And you didn't see that in Europe. Mm -mm. No. In fact, we were at one park, no. a kid fell off this kind of climbing thing and he was crying for about 30 seconds, no parent, and of course we're like, so you, go, you know, we're looking to see if he was okay. The kids were kind of playing around him, and um, then eventually he stopped and he got up and continued to play. You know, the pair, there was definitely, all the parents kind of sit around the periphery, then they're not involved. But I mean, it went on for long enough where you're like, is he hurt? Like, should we go do something? It wasn't like, it wasn't like the kids were yeah. stepping on him. They just kind of were like, hey, you fall down, and you know, he cried. He didn't get like the attention from crying but he wasn't hurt either he didn't have like a broken arm or even scrapes but it was that whole like I fell and you know the kids kind of just kept playing the parents you know I wouldn't say they were ignoring him but they didn't like get involved and he got up and continued on and I mean I, if that happened at here I feel like you'd have five parents running up they who, who pushed you try to like make someone say sorry and so it's very you didn't see any of that at, not once yeah, not no. once no. So that was really interesting to see, too, just the different parental philosophies and um, even just letting kids be kids. Well, and the adventure parks, like, they're all free, so that's part of the government funds them. I mean, it's a major budget in the government for all those countries, but particularly Switzerland and Germany. They have entire sectors of the government that this is dedicated for this, and they're free programming, and the kids can go. It's like four hours a day they can mm -hmm. be there for free. So like you could use it almost as like childcare, I guess in some weird way, although it's actually not real. I mean, they're actually pretty unsupervised, but um, they have to, I mean, there is there's like staff a, there. There's the staff parts, there, yeah. but so it's really interesting. Like this is considered like a really big deal in these countries. They, they want the kids like yeah. a learning experience for these kids. Like, and yeah. the kids get there. I think they have to be five to go, yeah. but they sign themselves in. And then they sign themselves up. There's no parent to pick them up. No one's, yeah. Very that different. sounds fairly utopian to me. Yeah, 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 it is. It's really interesting. And we actually got to see, which we didn't know we were going to see in Germany. The one of the parks we went to, they had actually had a forest kindergarten program there, oh, yeah. which we didn't even know we were going to get to see, but it's a true forest kindergarten program. So like the kids go Never to kindergarten go they don't go inside. They Ever. have kindergarten outside. They had a little trailer that was unheated that, just in case it's like torrential downpour or torrential snowstorm, but it was unheated. He walked us inside. Yep. I mean, it was like a trailer, tiny little trailer. Kids were wearing like they rain, wearing slickers rain slickers and rain boots because that yeah. day was kind of rainy. Just, so that yeah. was really cool. And I mean, we've brought stuff back. To, I mean, all of our students last year, when we got back from the trip, you know, we taught all of last year until March. They all knew that we had done this. We brought it into all sorts of our regular lessons and little pictures and comments mm -hmm. about our experience. So it wasn't like it was any secret, all the stuff we had done. We just didn't get to actually do the final project, which 
Well, I think it's interesting too, the level of individuals with whom you met. You mentioned the museum curator and that she was in charge of the playground project exhibition in Switzerland. She was a Swiss political scientist and an urban planner. I mean, that's like a, that's very impressive. And and Martin, whom you referenced is um, on the board of the International Play Association, I think. Yep. Yep. And like, they were they were so honored and excited that we reached out to them yeah. to do this like i mean it was so much time with us and they, gave us so many resources and, and, and they had like a red carpet rolled out for us literally practically mm-hmm. i mean the way that they embraced us it was really cool and a really good i know our takeaway for our students are we kept saying like never be afraid to just go for something because yes. the worst that was going to happen from these emails that we sent was they were going to say no, no respond. <laughs> or just not respond i mean there was nothing we had to lose and i mean i guess mm-hmm. we wouldn't have gotten a fellowship but i mean that's a, it wouldn't have been anything but maybe a little bit of our time that we would have lost so it's a really good like lesson to just you never know the documentary to which renee and eileen referred is called the land but one viewer called it a horror film for hover parents due to the nature of adventure playgrounds. Since its premiere at the Full Frame Documentary Film Festival in 2015, The Land has been widely used by educators, play advocates, designers, and parents as a tool to launch robust conversations about play, risk, freedom, and children's culture. You can watch The Land for free with your public library card at the website canopy.com. That's K-A-N-O-P-Y dot com. We're learning from middle school teachers and adventure playground enthusiasts, Eileen Lewis and Renee Epstein. In the summer of 2019, they researched across Europe the benefits and components of adventure play to introduce the concept to their students and school communities. One year later, I was curious about how their experiences are translating in the classroom, or in this case, outside the classroom. Let's fast forward. You come back, and you already have this program that you established. How did things change? What was the shift once you brought back these experiences? So the plan was to everything is laid out and ready to go the kids are going to have a choice there's two lanes whether or not they pick the original lane which was accessible parks and playgrounds or because there's two of us so it's like we one of us takes one lane one of us takes the other or they learn all about the history of adventure playgrounds and they see all of our videos and pictures from europe and then they end up studying adventure playgrounds and design their own adventure playground unfortunately that project is held in may and we were in shutdown in may so our first time doing it will now be hopefully this year, this year in May. Mm-hmm. But we were talking that we it changed our perception just in our classroom. So forget the the project for a second. Like I have been we're very type A teachers and ever since we got back from that I I know we've said a lot about we've just mm-hmm. been able to understand the value of letting kids do things in different ways and not holding so strict to it has to look just like this or here are your three options. You need to fall within one of those three options. Like that whole experience made me see that the kid banging the sledgehammer against the car was getting to the result that that kid needed. And that's okay. It looks like that for that kid. It doesn't have to look like a pretty princess box that the other ones have. So I guess for, uh, I mean, me yeah. and Eileen yeah. can speak too, but like, cause I'm a gen ed teacher. So I 
maybe that wasn't something that was as much on my radar. It really opened me up to being more inclusive to understanding that things, the final project can look differently for different kids and that's totally okay. And um, I think just the whole idea of trying things out and that everything doesn't need, you know what I mean? Like just exploring and being flexible and even just playing with the kids in the, in, you know, in the, um, in the classroom, you know, allowing for opportunities where it feels a little bit more fun and a little less like school that, um, you know, we obviously saw that when the kids went to the park, but it was kind of saved for field trips and for that time of the year and just really trying to incorporate that like within the day. Um, Renee does like a, was doing a wellness club and just, you know, how important it is to get kids moving and to let like creative juices flowing. And, you know, it's not just about math and reading, but mm -hmm. there's so many things that you can do within a school even um, to really hold on to that love of play and, and, and curiosity and, and letting them learn that way. So I think that was kind of, you know, again, not applying to the project, but just a more of a different mind shift of, of, of looking at the classroom. So while the project itself is so cool, I can't wait to actually push the project. I would say maybe I've been affected even more so just all around in my like teaching philosophy mm -hmm. um, and the way that I'm looking at like our bigger systems, which is kind yeah. of the point of those adventure playgrounds in the first place. Let's talk about what you do plan on doing because I think it's fascinating and um, you do talk about wanting to involve the community and the final project, um, the goal is, is is not a small one. So can you kind of walk us through what that project will look like when you do it in the spring? Yeah, so part of the big pushes in eighth grade is to work on argument writing. So as part of the IDU, our, our IDU, we push, we work with the kids a lot on like, how do you persuade an audience through your writing and through your speaking to feel the same way that you do about something? And that's something that they like, was really big into our writing curriculum anyway, like throughout the year. So the goal is after they design their playgrounds, we get a, you know, whether it's one group of them or however many groups want to actually take it to the next level to take it to the village board and get approval to come actually to a village board meeting and the kids would practice and actually go through giving some statistics on why an adventure playground, there's a, there's a thing called Thatcher Woods where we teach, it's like a big wooded area that's like perfect for something like this. So using an actual place mm -hmm. to kind of be the springboard of how could you design an adventure playground and why would it be beneficial here? And what, you know, what would we do with it? And how would you think about funding it? So one of the people that come and talk to our students already she is a park designer for a neighboring district and she talks to our kids all about how do you fund parks in general so like she gives them all of the information of like how do you go about fundraising for a park why is it difficult how much do things cost so they've already through our project they're already getting that, that information piece. so then our goal is to get them to kind of take that and do something with it yeah, but I mean, honestly, the whole thing has brought like new perspective to Eileen and I as human beings of like, hey, you never, you got to try things out of your comfort zone. And when we bring that back to our students, like you just never know until you try something, even if it's way out of the box, who cares? Like it's out of the box and it's no harm, no foul to try it. But you just never, I mean, we always say we would have always regretted yeah. if we had never tried for this and look what it brought us. I mean, well, not just you, but your students and your community for, oh, for that. Collectively, yeah. yes, yes. Collect actually, our old superintendent went to a different district 
and and called us. This was maybe a year ago or so, Martha Ryan Martha. Toy. She called us and she's like, I have a board member who's interested in adventure playgrounds. You're the only people I've ever heard of that know anything about adventure playgrounds. He wants to build one in our district, like randomly. Yeah. This was like the most random call ever. And I was like, we were like, sure, like we can have a long conversation with you about it. So you just never know no. what kind the of impact, the yeah. impact it could have in different places. Yeah, because now you're the adventure playground uh, <laughs> expert. in <your> <laughs> I mean, we were just talking like this is such an amazing program the FFT has built and we hope that you all can continue it. It does amazing things for teachers. It changed our world for sure. So we hope that you all can keep doing this for other people and let us know how we can help spread the word. Honestly. Well, and this is so nice to be able to, you know, I think so many fellowships, people think they have to go to like a conference or do something and you know, just being able to like find something that you're mm -hmm. interested, curious, passionate about and, and, and tie it all together. And I, I think from our experience too, like we're better teachers because of just literally of just having that experience and mm -hmm. being able to explore what we thought was important to us and being able to do that. And so I think that, you know, it's just, it's, you know, we're very grateful for the opportunity um, that yeah. you guys provided for us. We look forward to using this podcast to elevate more teachers as the inspiring architects of their careers, classrooms, and school communities. But you can learn from our 9,000 Fund for Teachers fellows now by visiting fundforteachers.org slash blog, or check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you to Fund for Teachers fellows Eileen Lewis and Renee Epstein for sharing their learning and impact around their fellowship researching adventure playgrounds. To learn more about their work, visit the blog they maintained throughout their fellowship at adventureparks2019.blogspot.com or on Instagram at adventureparks2019. I'm Carrie Caton. Thank you for joining us today at Fund for Teachers, the podcast. Until next time, keep learning.